It's official. One Shining Podcast is back, and I am your host, Tate Frazier. And as March Madness begins, we're covering everything from Selection Sunday all the way to the championship and beyond. We're going to have great guests that are coming through on the show. And look, if you're a friend of the program and you're already subscribed, you don't have to do anything. OSP is back. It's going to be right back in your feed. And if you're not a friend of the program and this is your first time on the rodeo, then let me tell you this. You need to go to Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts and smash subscribe today because the OSP show is back. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all in one page. Plus, start betting on the Explorer page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit theringer.com backslash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com backslash RG. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. Fuel up for game day and any day, really, at Sonic for a limited time. You can get the new $1.99 Sonic Crispy Tinder Wraps. And trust me, you don't want to miss out. A crispy chicken tender and bold flavors like hickory barbecue and cheesy Baja. Crisp lettuce and melty cheese that make the perfect bite. So go get yourself some TLC, some tender love and chicken. And buy a $1.99 Sonic Crispy Chicken Tender Wrap today. Tax not included. Limited time only at participated Sonic drive-ins. Folks, basketball is so very good. And in the immortal words of the guy who brought us, I would say the cringiest part of LeBron's scoring record ceremony, uh, what a time to be alive. Uh, We got March Madness is imminent. It's imminently on the docket. We've got the playoff race shaking out. And I've got the best possible person to navigate it all with, the Poet Laureate of Edmonton. Sirit Sohi. It's good to see you again, Sirit. I'm settled back into my house after the the windstorm. Windstorm 2023. Might get t-shirts made. Doing a little bit better. How are you doing? Kyle, I just thought that after your timeout, which you're conveniently <laughs> now justifying as, you know, just a personal weather situation, you know, just like ha- having to deal with what seems like a very erratic spring in Kentucky. I heard what you said. I heard what you said on last yeah, show. I just, I just thought that I just thought that after listening to the podcast with Michael and how he behaved and how affable and agreeable he was, you wouldn't open immediately with Drake slander. Knowing oh, that yeah, I'm I back back in Canada, back in my old stomping grounds. After after the Juno Awards, nonetheless, after you know, the biggest night in Canadian music. This is how you come out. But, you know, I guess some people just don't change. Did you go to the Juno Awards? I did, yeah. Why? How? What 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 was that about? What did they, well, they uh were, n- they were in your Edmonton, basketball prowess? As, a, as the poet laureate. Um, oh, I, yeah. I, I mean, it wasn't know. that that hard to get a seat, really. I think anybody anybody that wanted to pay for a ticket could have gone. But is that I was, true? So it's not a star-studded affair where you have to be invited. Any old any old person can go. It's a concert. I see. 
Oh, it's, it's um, a yeah, yeah. I was just doing some kissing babies and shaking hands with my dad, all that stuff, and lovely weekend in Edmonton. And now I'm talking to you. So little bit of a step down, I would say. <laughs> no, uh, of course no, not. yeah, I miss, yeah. I miss you, Kyle. I miss also, you. also hilarious that uh, you would talk. Don't Pete is a nice guy, but don't let him fool you. You know, he when he he's not exactly agreeable on everything. He has his takes, which is respectable. You know, I think it's good. But Peanut Peanut has his opinions, so I'm not going to act like he's just an easygoing guy. You know, I'm, you know, I don't want I don't want him to get off scot free here. No, I think he he channels his lack of agreeableness into some great basketball takes. He's a good it's guy to true. debate with. It's true. It's true. Yeah. You can, we can have you friendly cordial debate. anger in healthy places. <laughs> I usually do. It's uh, like not maybe like not like waitresses and servers. Oh, give me give me a break! You couldn't resist <laughs> pouncing on that one. Yeah, did I, did I tell you the update though? Did I tell you the update on the? Um, are you wearing the biggest sweatshirt of all time? That's like a Met Gala huge sweatshirt. What is going on right now? That is. Uh, yeah, I am actually. Yeah, for those of you who can't see, which is everyone, uh, thanks for being considerate of our viewers. <laughs> I thought you were wearing a hang gliding outfit. Um, <laughs> I was. Yeah, look, I. If Sierra jumped off a building, she could glide to safety. That's how big that yes. crew next sweatshirt is i'm sorry i'm not trying to roast your sweatshirt i wanted to update you on the story though um we went back again a follow-up on the um the the server the 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 host thing where i got uh sort of chewed out for the uh picking you know pick making the reservation too small we went back and i did it the correct way that i'd been lectured to do and the person said uh oh you put down that it's three but it's two adults and a kid okay just for all right just wanted to be clear on that i was just like you gotta be kidding me which made me think that the person just enjoyed uh confrontation was it the same person it was the same person yes i started laughing i openly started laughing and megan was like do not stop she was like you have to end this (laughs) do you think that they remember you i don't know it doesn't seem like it It, we've had three separate occasions i don't know i don't know it let's talk about we're in the middle see that you're somewhat reformed you really are stuck on this idea of me needing every person needs work and i and i embrace and i embrace that journey i'm not opposed to it i you know talking about like reformation and not reformation uh reformation and like improvement and growth it's a thing I love to talk about in like development, you know, younger players getting better, just getting better in general is a cool topic. And in the NBA, they like to reward certain individuals on a yearly basis with an award called the Most Improved Player Award, which is going to be the next edition in our series about awards, uh, award season. You can say SZN if you want. Uh, I'm moving on from that that trope. Uh, but we're going to talk today about that that award, the history of the award. Um, the pitfalls of it, the way the philosophy has changed over the years, and then at the end, talk about who we think should win it this year. So, uh, Siri, you really got into kind of a historical dive, which I always love to sort of observe your brain's kind of thought process over the, your <laughs> manifestos that you do. Big note taker, Siri Tsohi. Um, Let's open up by just kind of talking about where this award started what do you think the the most improved player was like in the beginning uh just just we'll we'll open with that yeah so it was the first the most improved player award was actually improved upon by itself 
So Ooh. I love that the award itself is is taking on the spirit of of what it's celebrating. That's great. It actually started in 1982 as the Comeback Player of the Year Award. And uh, for those of you who listened to the Six Man episode, you'll remember that that was also the first year of the Six Man Award. Um, this was around a time that the NBA was trying to find new ways to market the game. It was the beginning of the 80s. It was pre the takeoff of like the the magic larry bird rivalry that would set the nba up for jordan to basically turn it into the incredibly huge billion dollar enterprise that it is now this is we're talking about the era of tape delay we're talking about you know people still probably prefer college basketball this is coming on the heels of you know, the 70s and the NBA really just being associated with problems around cocaine, around drugs in general. Um, and obviously there is like the racial element too, to all of that. So the NBA at this point is just trying to find a way to highlight its best players to a public that is, you know, they're pretty, they are questioning the NBA. They don't really know if they want to support the NBA. That just doesn't really have a lot of mass appeal at this point. So, what they do is they come out with a bunch of awards and the NBA comeback of the player comeback player of the year award uh 19 it was actually sorry it was 1981 and it only lasted 5 years this award because well the first the first guy who won this award was Bernard King um who you know this is this is a part where this award is tricky right the comeback mm alone suggests that there was a place that you didn't necessarily want to be. And yeah, Bernard yeah. King was coming off of um, a falling, charges of sodomy, forced sexual abuse, possession of cocaine, and it had a big alcohol problem. And all of those things were, were, were all related. You know, I, th I think the, his, his, uh, testimony in the sexual abuse case was that he was too drunk to remember doing it at all which gosh as far as justifications go what a defense not a, yeah not a great one not Man. a great one uh yeah, even I'm if really it may leaning towards leniency true, yeah um this was also in an era the an era that we still haven't quite gotten out of but we're 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 sort of finding our way out of, of the the era of the perpetrator of a of an assault of any kind, uh, whether it's sexual, an athlete finding themselves in trouble for something that they really shouldn't have done being a story about their comeback and how they can, they can make it back from that. Uh, just not, not great centering of the victims there, but that is the environment that we were in back then. Uh, for the NBA's purposes in that moment, I don't think that they were thinking about any of that stuff, but they are trying to find a way to market a new crop of NBA players and get away from this image problem that they have. So Bernard King winning this award was not exactly what they were looking for. Um, and then you have Michael Ray Richardson win the award. You have Marquise Johnson win the award, um, who are all... Also, you know, dealing with returning from drugs and alcohol dependency issues and stuff like that, too. Um, and, and also these things, you know, I think there's a way to do these stories that is actually great. You know, like people finding a way to, you know, overcome 
addiction, like I, we tell these stories in ways that aren't great sometimes, but uh, this was not an era where any of this stuff was was done in 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 a nuanced way. Um, and what it let the the other the other half of it was also like you had uh, Adrian Dantley win it one year, and it was after he got injured. Ideally, that's what it is, right? Ideally, right. it's somebody, it's something something like that. It's a it's a it's a story of overcoming hardship, not. You know, I was joking with you. I was like, in, in this era, I feel like the name, the the award essentially was just like, uh, you do not, in fact, have to hand it to them or re- reward me for this mess <laughs> yeah. I made. Uh, these yeah, are situations. Yeah. If you're bad, if you're, it's an odd thought process. Process, and mm-hmm. there are a lot of things like this when the with the NBA over the over the decades, just sort of reckoning with marketing this product, which over you know once the ABA and the NBA merged became increasingly a sport made up of black athletes their worry about like marketing that to uh an audience that they were afraid wouldn't culturally mesh or integrate or uh, not integrate but interface with um you know it's funny that they would set themselves up now that issue being aside from the fact that like you know the drug the drug problem being a separate thing obviously that like you know, those, those, they just had all kinds of like marketing issues. And it's funny that they would set themselves up to basically promote athletes that were coming back from, from these issues, which furthers the, the idea that, that, that they were worried about the, their audience not wanting to accept in the first place. Right. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's just like who, no one in the, in the room raised their hand. Right. That's the part of it. That's the hardest for me to understand whenever they were thinking about this, like comeback should have been exclusively injury. Right. You would think not, not like coming back from cocaine mm-hmm. addiction. Well, this, I mean, it's, I don't think that's necessarily something that like you can't celebrate. It's just something that the NBA obviously at the time didn't I agree. want to. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a marketing thing, not a human story thing. Right. I mean, obviously it's, it's celebrated that people rehabilitate themselves. Like I want to be super clear about that. Obviously not that I necessarily even need to, but, uh, yeah, I mean, they're two separate things. They were looking at this through a marketing. Right. The NBA wanted a whitewash, like, and pun very much intended there, uh, image. And they, they did not, that's not what they got with this award at all. Um, and in fact, Adrian, Adrian Dantley, who is a player who was injured and made a bag, was basically like, this is not an award I hope to ever win again. Um, and the players who were coming back from, you know, like, there was a point where, like, you know, there's, there's just like, you, you don't know if you're ever going to play basketball again. So, like, the ones that were dealing with the addiction issues, they were more so just like, they, they were prideful about the fact that they were able to make it back from them. So, but yeah, it got to, it got to a place where the NBA just realized, like, this isn't really working. <laughs> this isn't doing what we intended it to. So, in the middle of the, I think it was the night, yeah, the nineteen eighty six season. Um, and that they decided during the middle of the season, like leading up to the All Star break, while Walter Davis was the leading candidate to win uh, the Most Improved Player of the Year award, um, that this award was just not go- going to exist anymore. Uh, there is a great headline that I pulled from. Uh, for, from newspapers.com, which is just a lovely resource in these moments. One of my favorite sites. I'm being serious. Come back when you find a less embarrassing award. So <laughs> <laughs> well, there were a couple, so, and like there was, there was reporting at the time that uh, part of the reason that, like the NBA obviously said that 
The reason that they phased it out was because it was difficult to determine with any kind of clarity exactly what the requirements were, which is interesting. We an issue that we still have with the most improved player. Uh, yeah, it has not we'll gone to. away in any yeah. of the awards. <laughs> we yeah. Have not, we have not totally figured out what this award should be. Um, but at the time, uh, there was reporting suggesting that it, the drug thing was a big issue, and that's why they did it. Um, they did it in the middle of the season, and the around the end of that season, uh, Walt, the Suns, and Walter Davis was the best player of the Suns, were, uh, like, nine members of the Suns were basically implicated. Yeah, the Maricopa County Attorney's Office indicted 13 people on yeah. drug-related charges, three of whom were active Suns players, James Edwards, Jay Humphreys, and Grant Gonzerick. Gonrezik. Gonrezik? I, I don't know. I've never said that name out <laughs> loud. Uh, these indictments were partially based on a testimony from Walter Davis, who was given immunity. So he ratted his teammates out, basically. Right. Yeah. And yeah. this was also a se- like a season where he, uh, in, in 1985, he actually voluntarily entered a rehab clinic to be treated for cocaine and alcohol abuse. So he was also one of those sort of comeback stories. So the NBA wanted to nip it in the bud. And they did, and it's probably a good thing that they did for their purposes because later that season, that happened. And it was, at the time, the biggest drug bust ever in pro sports. Uh, There's an SI Vault article that I'll share on Twitter about this because it's really interesting. SI Vault is one of the most incredible things out there that's free, by the way. I can't believe it's free. Maybe I shouldn't say this on a podcast, but it's, it's insane. You can look at the actual Color magazine online for free. Yeah, here's a free uh, yeah. idea for Sports Illustrated. Why don't you put that behind a paywall? Because anybody who is crazy enough about sports will pay for that because if they can pay for that, because it is an incredible resource. And then you could maybe hire back all the writers that you fired and actually start doing <laughs> journalism it. again. Sear it. Let them have it. No, that's their biggest asset. I don't understand. It's like their brand, it's their legacy. It's like a library of great writing and it really you know, is. page and photography and it's free. I don't get it. Why are we telling we're, we're giving this we're probably ruining something that we love. But continue the point that you were making. I'm sorry I derailed That's you. That's okay. No, I think you know what? If this if this leads to maybe some That's true. Like uh, yeah. <laughs> another entity that is having a branding problem. Um anyway. Yeah, so this 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 happened right around that time. It's more of an aside, but it's a, it's a really interesting moment in NBA history this team because it also um, it led to the Suns selling the team to Jerry Colangelo, who was a GM at the time. And when Jerry Colangelo signed on to be the GM at the time, there was a clause in his contract that if he ever wanted to buy the team, that he would be given some level of priority consideration. So throughout, you know, this this was just kind of a PR disaster. They needed to clean up. And Colangelo bought the team. And I think that, like, I mean, Colangelo was a great general manager and, like, mm-hmm. has become one of like the signature forces in making the NBA what it is today. So it's just, it's a really interesting. And all um, of basketball. He's one of the, yeah, one of the biggest voices in all of basketball. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, he yeah, decides mainstay. what the rules are oftentimes. And <laughs> yeah, um, yeah there's also, it was a weird, like an- another really tragic thing that happened. But uh, what, one of their uh, their centers, Nick Vanos, uh, was killed in a, uh, in a plane crash. Hmm that season too. So it was just that season just had a lot of stuff going on for the Suns that I think like the more you dig into it, the more it has implications for, for a lot of 
a lot of the things that we we see in the league today. I was going to tack on too there that uh, Walter Davis, one of uh, the Michael Jordan, has cited him as one of his biggest influences that he emulated Walter Davis. So uh, really, little little ripple effect from my research that I had found. David Thompson and Walter Davis. There you go. Wow. Okay. What a through line, this guy. That's so cool. So we we then you know go from the NBA Comeback Player of the Year award to the Most Improved Player award. And that is the award that we know it as today. Now, Kyle, there are... This is an award that has an interesting history. There have been... It's gone from an award that has rewarded a lot of role players to then in the early 2000s, T-Mac won, Jermaine O'Neal won. um, And you saw all-stars and guys who will be future Hall of Famers start to win the award. And now we kind of don't know what it is, but you had a lot of interesting takes on, on some of the guys that won it. So like, let's, you know, the floor is yours. Well, when this reform reformation award, when this growth, when they started to kind of get a better idea of maybe what, what the award was, they, we we didn't nail it from the start. Needless to say, Uh, basically the award rewarded and it tends to reward i feel like uh if you look over and over i feel like this is a pattern that has continued is change of scenery basically so players change teams and then they're suddenly treated like a different person and we've seen this like lots and lots and lots of times with this award you mentioned uh tracy mcgrady in 2001 which i believe was a sign and trade to the magic and it's like oh lo and behold he's suddenly a different player and these players will have huge upticks in production Usually just as a matter of them getting more of a chance. They get more runway because Vince Carter was there. You know, they had this guy. He he knew that he could expand into this other thing, which also means, you know, making more money. A big one is Dale Ellis, who went from like a really a, a, a team that I think history has kind of forgotten, a Dallas Mavericks team in the mid-80s that had like Roy Tarpley, Mark Aguirre, Sam Perkins, Derek Harper, uh, Dale Ellis leaves at age 25 and had a 17-point jump in his scoring average. And he went to a good team. The Sonics were actually like in the playoffs, played the Lakers. That was one of the better examples. I found I unearthed one that I had forgotten about. This was a trade that happened. Jermaine O'Neal was traded from the Blazers to the Indiana Pacers in 2000 for Dale Davis, who was like 32 or 33 years old. Jermaine O'Neal, I would say, is a Hall of Famer. I mean, like he's he was like a multiple-time All-Star. I think he uh, was an incredible player, but they traded to him uh, at age 22. He had only started 10 out of his first 141 games there. So that was, that was like a brutal, brutal... I tweeted out the newspaper article that uh, they signed... Sean Kemp the same day. Rough day in Blazers history, Sirith. That was a rough day. That was not the Sean Kemp we know and love, uh, or loved at least. Um, So that's another good example. Uh, You can go down through, I mean, uh, Purvis Ellison, you know, uh, Scott Skiles, Dana Barrows, Jalen Rose. These are all people who changed their context. And then, but I guess the question that it sort of unearths here is like, did these guys, what are we rewarding? Like, is it important to, are we are we rewarding guys that just got a different opportunity? Do statistics really represent players who they are? What is, it kind of, this is kind of where we start to ask the question of like, what improvement actually means, like in terms of this award? Like, do we need to reward guys who were in the same spot? Or what do you, what do you think about the change of scenery aspect of this? I think... <sighs> 
I think it gets to the fact that we just don't know what this award is supposed to be. Out of all the awards, and they all have nebulous definitions, everybody kind of comes up with their own. The Most Improved Player Award probably has the most nebulous. Uh, You can kind of make it into whatever you want to make it into. And the change of scenery stuff, it's always, it always feels like a combination of both. Like, just I, one of the guys that we'll probably talk about today, we'll talk about, I, I'll bring him up right now, Jalen Brunson. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who, it was very clear in the minutes that he played without Luka Doncic, in the times that Luka Doncic was hurt, especially through the playoffs, uh, that Jalen Brunson had another gear to his game. Uh, that if you gave him more touches, that he could sustain that, right? I think I think a lot of it comes down to that, and I'd be curious for your kind of developmental perspective on this too, where certain players, they show that they can be efficient in small roles that should probably justify expanding those roles at some point, but in the framework of a team, that can be difficult because it means taking stuff away from somebody else or maybe changing the framework of how you play, cha- changing your identity a little bit. And I think that as a team, like, I don't know. I mean, it's like I don't have to. It's It would not be a hot take to say that the Mavericks royally screwed that up by not mm. finding a way to to get Brunson to fit and adjusting their play style a little bit and, you know, paying him and all that stuff. Like, we don't need to get into all that today. But um, not being malleable really hurt them because everybody, I mean, obviously including them, they watch him the most closely, could see that he could be more than what he is. And we've kind of seen that bear itself out throughout, you know, his his, his like first year with the Knicks where, you know, he goes, he, he basically has like this all-star year where he's playing the same way, but he's just doing more stuff, you know, like mm-hmm. he's, He's up from like, you know, he he played like he he uh his scoring nine points per game as a pick and roll ball, ball handler this year. And the only he only dropped off by like point oh six in points per possession. And you'll see similar sort of stuff in his driving numbers and his isolation numbers. Like the the statistical drop off has been so little that it's like, okay, this is a guy that he was already doing it. It's like, I don't know how much he's actually improved in that case. I don't, and I don't know how much I'm surprised, I guess, right? Yeah. I guess I, there is something to be said about like improvement. Like there is the, the hypothetical idea of them just going to another team and like doing what they do and expanding. I guess we shouldn't underrate the shift of volume, you know, mm-hmm. the, the like, I like, you were talking about the fact that like his volume went up at his efficiency. Not every guy can do that because, right. you know, like really the difference is the way when you're like a secondary guy and you're like running those types of pick and rolls, maybe you're like, you know, playing off the catch and like rolling right into a pick and roll. That's different than playing against like a set defense. That's like, we know we, we kind of know that, that this is the way this team likes to operate philosophically so, I, I, you know, that's an element of it, I think, that we we should be careful not to underrate, don't you think? That's a good point. Like, I think if you look at guys that, like, we talked about Jordan Poole over uh, the All-Star, All-Star, like, that was that was, that was was a big Pina moment. I think that was a big Michael Pina moment. Um, but that's a guy who I think has struggled to figure out how to, you know, increase his volume. 
while maintaining his efficiency. And there are plenty of guys uh, in the league that that do struggle with that. Like they, f- you figure out what their limitations are, I guess. So that's a good point. I don't know. There's it's a different thing. It kind of reminds me of the six man of the year award thing. It's like that's the difference between those guys and a guy who is like the primary option for a team on a nightly basis. So I think whenever we think about the change of scenery award, even though it's like you do get into that kind of weird, gray, nebulous, like question of like, did they actually change? Um, I don't know. The, the other part of this, the, the other part of the award is, and, and agree or disagree with this. You kind of, you kind of get into this question of like, what types of, what types of improvement are more important by the criteria of this? Like, what do we need to be rewarding? Because there are guys, and I've had this conversation with lots of different people, like the ability, and we, we've kind of talked about this too in our top 100 rankings, that like maybe a guy doesn't jump 10 spots into the top 10 or something. They won't go from like, tw- you know, 72 to 62 or something like that. Like the difference between the guys at the very top from like 10 to 1 in some cases, those improvements are really, really difficult to add. You know, th- those are the kinds of things that m- take a guy from being like perennial all-star to like maybe perennial all-NBA or even a Hall of Famer. And, you know, we've seen kind of mm-hmm. that's another kind of development that I think it would seem small because we give guys a lot of credit for how good they are. And when they make sort of an, something that appears to be an incremental change within their game, you know, sometimes those those improvements are incredibly difficult to make. Like, uh, there are a lot of examples of that throughout history. Like, I don't know, if you think about, like, Jordan adding, a lot of times it's like, it's different, like, you were talking about developmental paths. It's it's kind of different for every archetype of player, and we see it just kind of play out because basketball is sort of like music and the fact that there are only so many notes. It's just kind of, we, we have these kind of modes and ways that things flow and make sense. Um, you know, guys that are face-up players, maybe they start to get schemed for and they add back to the basket game. We saw like Jordan mm-hmm. add that around 89-90 with the Pistons. He started to bulk up and add some of that. LeBron in 2013, which we talked about at length and in detail on our LeBron scoring episode. Um, Dirk did it in 2006. He added a post-up game. Kevin Durant actually kind of just did what Dirk did, like literally mimicked it, stole it in 2014. And then you'll see somebody like Joel Embiid now. I mean, for him to add to his really, really dominant post game and to become like a manipulative passer, that's a leap that is massive. And what do you think about the idea that we we kind of exclude those guys in the most improved player award? Do you think like in a way we kind of underrate those improvements, even though they would seem small for a great player? I think I think we see it a little bit more now. Like John Morant winning the award last year, I think is an example of rewarding a sort of improvement on a superstar trajectory. But isn't that, isn't that expected though? Like, isn't there kind of a thing where we're just like, you, you kind of, that's what you're supposed to do as the number two pick, right? Like, don't you think? I agree. I agree. That's, that's what I was going to say. I think that is like a sort of wrinkle that we've seen in the MIP trajectory as of late like the the awarding of star players for improving and becoming better i think it kind of comes down to the question of like what type of improvement do we think is the most valuable or the most difficult to make right because like there are guys that went from kind of being role players to becoming all-stars there are guys who went from being all-stars to to becoming superstars like there is like the Victor Oladipo year there is like Pascal Siakam in 2019 and there's also like some of these weird outlier seasons 
I love the 2008 Hito Turkoglu one just because Why it was really that fun. One? Well, it was a really fun year. Uh, but also, like, it's another wrinkle of this award, too, where, like, you look at some of the names on this list and you're like, oh, this guy just had one really good season. Yeah. Aaron yeah. Brooks, 2010, is a good one. Uh, but one that you 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 brought up uh, in our notes is uh, 2011 Kevin Love, who was supposed to be a star, you know, kind of doing things that we expected him to. I think that was that was a big weight loss year for him, too. So I, I imagine and they traded that, like, Al Jefferson too. That was another thing too. They mm-hmm. got Al Jefferson out of the way, so he got more of the primary touches. But yeah, that that's another element of this is like it is really driven by expectations, right? So mm-hmm. then when we start talking about surprise, because I've heard people suggest like, oh, it's really for a surprise. What does that even mean? Like because like surprise is all dictated by us. Like we're all like it's all dictated by evaluation, and that's why I went back and was reading Kevin Love's evaluations from when he was in high school to see what people expected from him. And a lot of the like the stuff like if you read the scouting reports on him back in high school, it was just like I can't believe he's up faking DeAndre mm-hmm. Jordan in these All Star games and drawing fouls. It's like. Why is that surprising? Like, what is that? Like, is it because he's like this slow kind of pudgy white guy? And we're just like, no, those guys don't normally. I don't know. It almost feels like the 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 thing that we're saying, we're projecting onto them is saying more about us as evaluators that like, we're the ones fucking this up. Yeah, I think I entered this conversation feeling like this award shouldn't be celebrating superstars. But I'm going to go back on that now. Ooh, I love this. Go ahead. Yeah, I just, I feel like our expectations being the reason that someone isn't rewarded for improvement just doesn't seem like a good way to look at things, right? Like, why should we consider it less impressive just because we thought it was going to happen? You know? Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, there are certain come out of nowhere players that I think when those seasons happen, those should still take precedence. You know, so there are a couple there are a couple cases, I think, that are relevant, like today, I think, that kind of fit this discussion and they could be molded by kind of the the, the way that we're going back and forth here. Uh, I don't know that the voters are thinking about it on this level. I hope that they are. But we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the current candidates and how this applies to them uh, after the break. Get off the bench and bet the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, FanDuel is giving new customers 10 times your first bet in bonus bets. It doesn't matter if your first bet is an air ball. You'll still get up to $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. Something I'm going to be keeping an eye on tonight, just random one just to pull out here, Shea Gilgis Alexander. How many points is he going to put up against Brooklyn's wild collection of wings? There's a lot of ways you can go with it, but with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to which player will score first, all on a top-rated sportsbook app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So don't miss out. Just visit FanDuel.com slash RingerMBA to get in on the action. That's FanDuel.com slash RingerMBA. Then place your first bet to score up to $200 in bonus bets, guaranteed. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NBA. 21 and up in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 deposit required. Refund issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See full terms at fanduel.com sportsbook. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Call 1-877-8- 
Hope NY or text Hope NY four six seven three six nine in New York. Call one eight hundred Gambler or visit FanDuel.com slash RG. Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, Virginia. One eight hundred Next Step or text Next Step to five three three four two in Arizona. One eight 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 seven eight nine seven 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 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit www.mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming or visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia. The Lowry Markinen SGA debate, I think, is a really f- interesting framework for what we've been talking about so far. You've got Lowry, who came out of nowhere, basically, is having this season that absolutely no one really expected him to have um, through for, for a number of different reasons. There is a situational change. He got traded from a Cleveland team that was pretty much logjammed at his position to a Utah team that just needs somebody to put the ball in the basket. He was going to immediately be the player that got the most touches on a on a rebuilding team there. Uh, but also there were it, that his his case is a sort of combination of all the things that we've been talking about essentially. You have a situational change, but the situational change was also starting to happen the year before with the Cavs, where he played 64% of his minutes at the three, uh, which was a huge jump. He'd never played the three that much in his career. Um, he'd played sort of different roles for a Chicago team that, like, honestly, just as far as development goes, like, they they just get no, they get no credit in that era at all yeah. for anything that they tried to do. Um, and he he's fitting in this Cleveland situation. Um, granted, he's, you know, gonna he's not going to be you know, prioritize over somebody like Evan Mobley. Uh, but he's finding new wrinkles in his game. He's sort of figuring out what his position is. Um, and I think, like, the journey of self-discovery is a big part of some of these most improved player year uh, awards as well. Um, so this year, he's playing the majority of his minutes at the th- three, which is something that he discovered last year. And then there's also this extra wrinkle of, playing in Finland over the summer and being the number Mm -hmm. one option there and having a new coach and Will Hardy watching that and saying, oh, why can't we bring some of that over here? Um, And he's just like, he's just having this incredibly fun, versatile season where he's playing on like both ends of pick and rolls and pops um, and finding his role. But there's also a genuine improvement aspect too when you look at how much better he's playing at the rim, the way he's leveraging his athleticism. He has thrown down some of the most entertaining dunks that we've seen this season. He's improved as an offensive rebounder and he's figured out how to like really use his size. Like I think if you if you asked me a year ago, I would say the ideal version of of Lowry Markinen would be half of what he's doing now in the perimeter, which is basically being like a catch-and-shoot guy coming off of screens like a really tall Clay Thompson sort of situation. But he's also become someone who, you know, he shoots 70% from the field when he touches the ball in the paint. 
And he also, you know, he had, he grabs two offensive rebounds per game. And he's just like, he's really become destructive down there. And it's just really fun medley of characteristics on, on like a jazz team that kind of feels like, like this, this framework might not exist forever. This version of Lowry might not exist forever. I'm really curious to see five years from now, how we reevaluate this season in his long-term trajectory. Is this like going to be the season that turned him into an all-star or is it going to be like one of those Hito Turgaloo best seasons that he had because the fit was, was perfect. So there's that version of it too, like this like role player to all-star leap. But then there's also the Shea Gilgis Alexander thing where you can make the argument that a he was he his one his his case is also a little bit more nuanced too because while he has become a superstar he is not necessarily someone that we expected to become a superstar we mm-hmm. expected him to become a star but i don't think the expectations were ever this high for him i was gonna say one thing about lowry you said he came out of nowhere that's this kind of goes back to i mean he was the seventh overall pick and i guess that kind of mm-hmm. person player by player dictates Kind of our expectations for him. So, I, you know, he wasn't kind of totally out of nowhere. Uh, no, if you think about, like, Shay, Shay kind of the same thing. He was just misevaluated. And it makes you wonder, it makes you wonder if we would be talking about him in such a surprise way if, like, you know, if that trade, you know, that, that between the Clippers, you know, that he was included in that deal, uh, it makes you wonder if, if they had evaluated him and said, no, like, we believe in him. You know, it, it's it's all kind of dictated by our expectations. You talked about uh, Lowry. I wanted to kind of touch on a couple of when I think about this award. You know, I, I tend to I tend to value the guys who are where they are more. Like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking at some of the ones here. Like one of my favorite like leaps that we've seen, and and a lot of this is kind of context and who is around you, driven by those kinds of things too. Like. Brandon Ingram's shooting leap in 2019-20 is one of the more impressive things. Like shooting is one of those things you can. I'll throw this to you to see if you you have any kind of commentary on this. I don't know. Shooting is one of those things that I feel like is rarer. Which is rarer? Let's throw this out there. Which is rarer that somebody makes a big shooting leap from from three, or that somebody becomes a better like passer or ball handler? I don't know. What in your opinion? What in what you've watched in your basketball life? Is one harder than the other, do you think? I think that's a hard question to answer because I think it comes down to what is innate to you and what like you should be working on. You know, I think there are certain players that are meant to improve their passing ability over time. I think if you put a gun to my head, I would say it would be harder to improve on your playmaking ability. Um, there's just it's it's harder to recreate those scenarios. Um, you know, in an empty gym or just like even playing with other people. I think there's like a level of intuitiveness and reading the floor, seeing the chess pieces that if you don't have it, you can certainly practice it. Like I think NBA players as a whole are smarter than they used to be because they watch all this game tape now. And like, it's really important to analyze those things. And like, you want to be able to make multiple, like you want to have multiple decision-making options. Like that's become an important part of the game. So while that stuff, you can improve on it, but at the same time, I think like if you just look at the three-point evolution and how many players have adapted to that, that to me suggests that shooting is something that you could probably find a way to improve. But then there's also guys that never improve their shooting. Like there's, it's just a mm-hmm. mix of like nature and nurture there, you know? Like there's certain guys that it's a one hole in their game and they never figure it out, you know? I, I've talked about this a little bit on our draft show that like I always look for, 
Um, it's when, you know, in, in taller guys, I, 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 I've, I've kind of postulated that I think handle and playmaking are really, really inextricably tied together because your ability to like navigate the floor kind of dictates the way you're able to sort of manipulate and bend the defense, which affects your options that are available to you because playmaking is all about making is the key word in there. It's a reactionary skill set and you're, you know, you have to create the thing that the defense is reacting to. And a lot of times that's ball handling. It's spatial navigation on the floor. And you're right about the nature nurture thing, I think too, because like guys that are younger, I'm not, I'm I'm not going to act like I'm like some kind of like a neuroscientist on this level that I understand this, but I do feel like exposure to problem solving, like literally, carves as i've had it explained to me is that like it carves kind of neural pathways in your brain when you're younger and like if you don't do those things when you're younger it's like really hard to do it when you're older so like i I just that's something that when i'm like evaluating players i look for i'm like okay this guy is very likely to improve as a playmaker because he has that spatial navigation i always point to paul george is a guy and if you want to if you want to look at guys that have made leaps uh, this is an interesting thing that I'm just kind of thinking of in the moment here. Guy, these are guys that have been re- rewarded within the most improved player game. Is that like, and they, these guys all kind of have this in common? Is Jimmy Butler, Paul George, and Pascal Siakam are all guys at their size that can handle the ball, and thus they had thus. Listen to this blowhard, <laughs> and therefore. Um, they had these pathways that were available to them to improve that I think are unusual. Whereas, you know, Ingram's another guy at his size that can handle the ball, but he made a shooting leap that is kind of unprecedented. I haven't dug in to see how much, how sustained he's done that. Marketing can handle the ball a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. That, that That's just kind of where, that's where my head is at, at on playmaking. I, I feel like that skill set is really, really difficult to develop when you're older. You know, you have to be able to handle the ball. Yeah. I would name this award after Jimmy Butler. Yeah. 30th pick. You want to talk about come out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, geez. Uh, Like, glued to Thibodeau's bench was just supposed to be a defensive glue guy. Like, shows that he can guard, like, the LeBrons and Carmelos of the world. And the Bulls need that. And he gets a couple of minutes. He's a good driver. Gets to a free throw line. And then just brick by brick builds his game from there. To the point where, like, now there's, like... You know, there's he's still like I think shooting again. Like that's that's a guy you look at and you're like, there's no way that if Jimmy Butler could be a better shooter, he wouldn't be a better shooter because he has improved yeah. upon literally every part of his game. Uh, but yeah, like he's he's to me is a perfect example of the guy who like changed the trajectory of his career and his team through the, these impro- and and Paul George too, like and Brandon Ingram like incremental improvements throughout their career like little things, big things um, that have just kind of led them to to be like all-stars. Yeah, I, I, I'm just thinking about the change of scenery thing versus like staying in one place. And I'm like, it is kind of stupid to just say, oh, I only want to re- I only want to reward players who have been in one place because sometimes when you're like, these things go hand in hand. Like, you know, you being like, not you, the hypothetical you, not you, Sirit, but like the, you know, players being like misevaluated often leads to them changing circumstances, mm-hmm. which yeah. isn't their fault necessarily. So it's like, you know, the their issues within their game kind of runs, you know, your opportunity and then your development kind of run parallel. You know, maybe you're going to get more opportunity to get on the court. Um, I'm just thinking, the Jimmy Butler one is really interesting. You want to talk about like the basketball equivalent of like, 
working in the copy room just to get your foot in the door, which is like was really smart by him, you know? And it's like a lot of players, I think, whenever they're trying to develop, they have like star kind of like ambitions and things and like they get obsessed with that thing. And it's like really a key to developing is just like to find that thing to, that can keep you on the floor so that those other things can, you know, because that's not the funnest thing in the world to like, <laughs> to, to, to go in and, but I think Jimmy's personality, like to say, okay, well, I'm going to hang my hat on guarding stars, which is like an insanely difficult thing, but it's like Jimmy's personal makeup really kind of set him up to do that. And I almost feel like his adaptability, I always talk about like adaptability with players that like, he never had any kind of like delusion about, uh, th- he's a guy who basically bootstrapped himself to where he got to you know so um i I just i think jimmy's case is really unique and really interesting honestly yeah a case of genuine consistent career improvement um and that's a really good point on development too like i think if you if you look at that's also why i think it's it's good to be on a team as a young player where you can have the combination of a team that is trying to win some games but also has room for you to grow and play like i think the Warriors model has been difficult for them this year because the players haven't necessarily been ready for it. But at the same time, it's like it's it's more revelatory about where they are than, say, a team like the Houston Rockets, where there is no structure at all. And like mm-hmm. you don't really even know what to That's do true with too. any of the numbers. That's very true. You know? um, like it, it actually reminds me of Scotty Barnes, who like I profiled earlier this season where he was trying to he's expanding his game, but he is, he got away from doing the things that kept him on the floor in the first place. And I think that those constraints can be really, really good for a young player. So you don't get lost in trying to do all these things that you're not necessarily meant to be doing at a young age. And you have to work within what the team's needs are. That's not always a good thing. Like, I mean, development is also, it's not a science. I don't think there's any way to say like, hey, what is the perfect situation to develop a player in? But I feel like it just, there's something about having to build a foundation that I think pays off in the long run. You learn how to win. I think, I think like that, that is actually something that's probably true of like early Paul George as well. Like those Pacers teams were never trying to, never trying to lose. You know, the Pacers very rarely are trying to lose it just kind of historically. They just they always try to kind of stay. Yeah. I was going to say an, another another one, another really big, a couple other like really big developmental leaps. I was going to say Steph Curry in 2015-16 was a, a massive one when he added the strength and improved his ball handling and stuff sort of. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of talked about this in my magic video is like the, the tension release thing in basketball. You got to find that release. And that's a huge leap for guys sometimes. Jason Tatum's driving and foul drawing and finishing and passing and all of those things it's uh, that's another one of the templates if you're like a face-up player obviously this episode is brought to you by sonic fuel up for game day and any day really at sonic for a limited time you can get the new dollar 99 sonic crispy tender wraps and trust me you don't want to miss out a crispy chicken tender and bold flavors like hickory barbecue and cheesy baja crisp lettuce, and melty cheese that make the perfect bite. So go get yourself some TLC, some tender love and chicken, and buy a $1.99 Sonic Crispy Chicken Tender Wrap today. Tax not included. Limited time only at participated Sonic drive-ins. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. 
Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerMBA. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerMBA right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. We want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Let's just kind of quickly kind of run through these and then we can kind of decide, I guess, between the two of us who we think should win the award this year. Uh, a lot of these guys kind of checked similar boxes to, to historically to where the award has gone. Mikhail Bridges, change of scenery this year, although he he did see his usage go up last year, year over year. Like he came back into this year with Phoenix with the ball in his hands a little bit more, but he had a huge leap up when he was traded to the Nets in this in this KD deal. Um, in ISO and pick and roll mm-hmm. handling. Um, what do you think about Mikhail Bridges' improvement this year? And do you think it's lasting or do you think it's sort of like a thing where he's, it's a jolt to the system and people are going to kind of get used to it, scout him? Did he really improve, do you think, or was it always there? I think it was always there. I, th- I think... I think it's like that's another case of, you know, building your foundation on a team that's contending. And that's something that Mikhail's been doing pretty much his, his entire career. I think intelligence and being able to look at yourself in the mirror and evaluate yourself is a really big part of this. I think that's something that Butler was really good at. But, you know, Mikhail is somebody who went to Villanova. Like those guys, those guys practice the fundamentals. Like they do the really, really boring stuff over and over again. And Mikhail, for the last few years, has basically been learning from from Booker and and Chris Paul and has had to find his offense within the framework of things that those guys are good at, right? So he's figured out, you know, how to navigate a little bit on the pick and roll. He like when he or you know as a spot up guy being able to attack closeouts and also, you know, find those little gaps in that like 5 to 8 foot region that Chris Paul loves. Like that's something that he copied off of off of him to the point where you know, you have to do that in the same way that like someone like Poole had to figure out a way yeah. to play in the style of Steph because that's what like, that's how you're going to get on the floor and actually be able to produce. So with Mikhail, I think he's been doing this stuff and he's had these reps um, throughout the years to the point where now, it, it, to me, it makes sense. To me, it's like, it's not, it's not all that surprising. You know, like this is a guy that, you know, every time he had the ball in his hands in a decision-making situation. It was like very comfortable for him by the end with this, with the Suns, in my opinion, you know, like his expansion was so gradual that, that we never really saw him feel out of his depth. So like this to me is not, not, not shocking at all. Yeah. It's almost like there, there are different, you know, different strokes for different folks, obviously, but I think, you know, every player is different. And I think it's probably, I'm trying to think of guys who can come into the league I'm processing this in real time. I haven't thought about what I'm going to say, but uh, like the guys that come into the league and are ready to take like a full diet of primary options and they can grow. I kind of feel like that's 
not common, you know, like honestly, maybe we under, we, we underrate how special that is because for guys like Bridges, and maybe that's all tied up into the change of scenery thing that like for these guys who come into the league as sort of, um, maybe not implied stars the way a, a Ja Morant is, or, uh, even, you know, a Luca or the guys that we expect to become stars like a LeBron, Maybe this mm-hmm. is the this is this change of scenery path works for these types of guys because of what you said. Like the 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 tighter parameters allows them to a function in an environment that is like things are working. Um, and then once they move, they have that foundation. That makes right. a lot of sense to me, and it kind of makes you think about who the candidates throughout the league are to be next for that. And it kind of makes me think about. I mean, my mind immediately goes to like Tyrese Maxey in our interstitial that mm-hmm. we did for the top 100 rankings. I was like looking at it and I was like, Maxey is this guy who has been right there on the fringe where we're like, okay, we know he can be a dribble pull-up shooter in th- f- from three. We know that he has middle game. He's like a floater god. We know that, uh, it, honestly, his backcourt mate from Kentucky, honestly, is another guy who could fit this mold too, Emmanuel Quickly. These are guys who have tight parameters on what they're allowed to do. Is there any other young player that you think is in that situation that could potentially change location and Halliburton's another guy that fits this mold too. I mean, he was sort of, he was a leader on that Kings team. He, he probably is pretty unique in terms of his like intelligence as a player. Like he was ready to do it probably no matter what, but is there another young player that kind of fits that mold for you in your, in your opinion? Um, I don't know if he's like, he's not on a good team per se, but one guy that sticks out to me is Kelvin Johnson. I also love the maxi pick by the way. Um, a guy that was on that trajectory who didn't win most improved player, uh, Anthony, Anthony Simons. Oh like, yeah. Yeah. The backup of. He's like an understudy know, basically. Yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, uh, I could see that. I could see that. I mean, I'm sure Dame has that in mind. Like, uh, you know, one day I this think it's will already all be yours. Revealing itself, you know? Yeah. 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 He's been good. Um, yeah. I think he was kind of, he was kind of in that maxi position like a year ago, two years ago. Where now it's like, like we know what he is at this point. Yeah, th- those are those are a couple of good ones. Um, what do you think about Mikhail's candidacy, though? Like, do you think that he's? It's just a little late in the season. Yeah, it is. It That's is. It. Uh, it, it's 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 not it's not fitting the the nature of it for me. Brunson, we kind of both. Um, I don't know. I, honestly, I'm kind of. I I think Lowry would ultimately be my pick for this year. Um, the surprise part of it is. He kind of wandered away. I honestly had a ton of Lowry stock when he first came into the league. I was just like, this just his skill set, I feel like is prime to be a special player. And then it was just kind of, he just kind of uh wandered for a little bit. I was and I started to think, like, well, I guess I was just like flat out wrong about this guy. And it's been interesting to see him um reinvigorated in this new change of scenery. I think I think Lowry ultimately for the spirit of the award. You talked about the the rim finishing, you talked about like the on-ball competency. Uh kudos to to Will Hardy for like having the open-mindedness to do that, uh, to see what was going on there. We know he's a great, smart, smart basketball mind. I think marketing would be my pick. Marketing was my pick before this podcast started. And I increasingly just, I, I find myself wanting to make the case for Shea instead. Make it. Make the case. You, you're not going to have a hard time talking me into anything pro Shea. Let's go ahead. Let's let's hear it. Well, I, th- I think a, he has a situation of being in, on the same team for a while now. Um, he had the initial shift from the Clippers, of course. And I mean, frankly, like you asked a question. I frankly don't think that deal gets done if Shea is not included. I think the Clippers did not have a choice. Um I think OKC really wanted him and they were right to really want him. 
Um, but when you see the... There's been year-by-year year improvements that have led to this incredible leap from him. I think his defense has leveled up. I think the way that he manipulates the game in the paint has leveled up. He's mastered that to the point where it is pretty much, it's made him unguardable. He has also figured out his own game. Like, he's taking less threes, and he's concentrating in the play, on, on, on playing the places that he's good at. Um, he just looks comfortable, and... It kind of goes back to that thing of he both defied expectations in that we did not ever expect him to be this good. And he did it on the highest level, too. Like becoming an NBA superstar is an incredibly difficult thing to do. There are a lot of guys that we've talked about today that will never actually reach that level. Um, and Shea has done it, and he's a two way guy. And I just, yeah, I don't know. I feel like now that now that we've kind of talked all of this out, it kind of goes back to that thing of like I didn't, I want, I came into this not wanting to reward superstars, but it is really hard to become a superstar in this league. And like this, the surprise element of it, I think the surprise element of the award in general is what I value the most. So, and he has that too. Yeah, I'm all, I'm always kind of trying to balance that like pat on the head. You we talked about it's it's always kind of, but it's always kind of had this element of like pat on the head you know whether it was the comeback award which obviously we knew had was rife with problems about what they were coming back from from a marketing standpoint not a personal standpoint but then also just like the uh man we we thought you stunk you surprised us good for (laughs) you you know there's always there's that part of it but then there you know then i'm also balancing the like some guys just feel like they're in another category like luca made a leap from years two to three and we were just like luca you're an mvp we're like we reserve your improvement when i was talking you know when i was talking about like rewarding those guys how do we reward them typically it's with all nba or mvp or all-star wins and it makes you wonder why shay in my mind i'm just being honest why shay kind of felt exempt from that i guess i maybe i had already accepted that in my mind he was on the superstar path, but that doesn't that doesn't mean that's correct. And if you look at his career, and you were talking about him, the the implied thing for Shea is just like, oh well, he needs to become a shooter. I don't know that it's necessarily that he just like incorporates shooting more. I think he's just been smarter about like selecting them. Like if you look at like ten percent of his attempts this year have been threes. That's that's a career low, and that is kind of counterintuitive to where. When he came into the league, we were just like, well, he's got to become a shooter. He's got to become a shooter. Not necessarily. You know, he's one of the almost unstoppable downhill forces in the game. There's no reason to just quit going downhill. He's just gotten smarter about it. Uh, and, you know, overall, you're right. You're right about the defense. I, I, I'm torn. You kind of <laughs> you kind of poked a hole in my confidence. <laughs> yeah. I would not be opposed to Shea getting this because he honestly has become one of the most unstoppable scorers. And frankly, I just did not see that coming. And this is coming from somebody who has watched him a lot. Um, It's a pretty remarkable, uh, it's a pretty remarkable development. uh, Yeah, even if you were high on Shea, which, you know, a lot of people were. And I I was too. I just, this, this type of leap, just didn't see it. Just didn't see it. And like, you know, cut down cut down his three-point attempts by half from last season and improved to becoming a 90% free throw shooter while getting his free throw attempts up. Like, that's great for his efficiency. It's not like he just went from, like, not taking threes to then just shooting a bunch of mid-range shots. Although, you know, that's, that's part of his game, and it's a big part of his game. But it's also, it's suited to his skill set. He's a 6'6 point guard with a great wingspan. Like, he can get shots off over most anybody. And within the... 
like within the parameters of the three point line, he has great touch. So why not lean into all of that? So yeah, yeah. we we th- I think uh, I'll close with this. Um, I think sometimes when we think about stats and we think about improvement, we typically think about it like improvement of commission. We like we want to reward you. I'm just mm-hmm. trying to like sort of sharpen my own thinking on this kind of going forward. And I think it applies to Shay what we were just saying. We think about statistics as like okay. This is development that is that is indicative. It's indicated by commission. We went and we saw that you improved. You scored more points in this area. We saw that you, you know, your your statistical volume went up and your efficiency went up. But I don't think that we should underrate. This is all kind of about like what you underrate and overrate. I don't think that we should underrate the omission. Like discernment mm-hmm. is development. Discernment is development as a human being. You're like, okay, I need to not do this in this scenario because this will pay forward in this way for mm-hmm. me as a person. That's a banger quote right there. Discernment is development. Put that on a placard. It is. I, 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 I'm just kind of thinking about this in real time. I think you made a really convincing point that like just because he's not shooting more threes, like him picking it, that is smarter basketball. And I wanted to say this too, that like, I feel like restraint is kind of the final level of like any discipline, you know? Like I, I just feel like restraint and economy of output um, is kind of the ultimate sign of maturity. I think even in writing, like if you read like a really good writer, you're like, they could have gone overboard with this. And like, I just feel like the best, you'll read great writers who have like incredible economy of words, you know? Like, and, and mm-hmm. or you watch like a good, I talk about this a lot. Like you'll watch a guitar player I feel like that's the last level is like where you watch like a jazz guitar player and you're like, that person is barely moving their hand and yet they're playing the most efficient way to phrase. I just feel like efficiency and like economy is kind mm-hmm. of the ultimate level. Any thoughts on that? I'm actually, I'm going to pull up an email that I got from Henry Abbott, uh, also known as True, uh, True Hoop. Yes, um, in, familiar. In 2017, when he was an editor at ESPN, I worked with him on a Jimmy Butler profile actually. And after the profile, I asked him for some advice on writing. And he essentially, this is what he said. The trick is not so much in adding more or better instruments, nor in refining your playing. The thing to think about is being the conductor of all the instruments, when to summon the violins, and when to have the guy with the triangle go an entire movement quietly reflecting. It was part of like this very long email that really changed the way that I looked at writing, like not going and trying to like, you know, use the best possible, like the biggest possible word I can and like the best possible sentence and have every single paragraph be like this banger because it can't like you like, for example, we do a whole podcast today on on different aspects of the most improved player award. You can't come out with the like the what what did you say development like discernment is development line at the 20 minute mark of this podcast it just doesn't hit that way anymore you might have it in your bag but that's not the time to use it like you know you can't always use all your haymakers so yeah, yeah that was that was a great that was a great quote to end end the podcast on i think <laughs> um and and it was it was timed right just in the way that like a Shea Gilgis Alexander game winner is is time right? Like, you know, like you pull out, you pull out the double, like the double pump fake turnaround clutch, like baseline jumper at that moment. And then the tweet, you, you don't, you don't need it for the whole game. Yeah. And then the tweet after the game saying, you know, we're in DC, I'm Hemi Carter. It's all about firing the thing at the right exactly. time. Right. And it's timing. You can't do that in your second or third year. People are going to be like, dude, 
get over yourself. I, I think that's, yeah, I, that's like something he that I'm going to say be, he was him until he became him. That's, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Although I'd, if, but you clearly, I love Shay. <laughs> just, <laughs> his confidence is just so entertaining. I, I, that's what that his, his vibe is just something that we, we should all aspire to the confidence and everything. But that's something I'm going to be thinking about going forward. I think whenever I think about this award, because I think the tendency is to look at the production thing and be like, they improved. You got to kind of dig in there and look. And I think that the people who vote for the award, the award, I think that's their responsibility because it's deathly important stuff, Sirit. It really is. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, is there anything you're working on that you want to you want to plug? Uh, any any kind of thing you got coming here or anything else? You have a new podcast. You got to plug your new podcast. I, I, I guessed on a podcast uh, with Tate Frazier. We're doing One Shining Pod, The Return. Uh, yes, college basketball in the, in the tournament. We're going to be doing uh, some some reaction pods to the first two rounds, so tune in for that. Hit us up with who you think is the most improved player. If you have anything philosophical that you want to, uh, you know, you want to fire our way, hit us up on Twitter. I would love to hear it. I love having these discussions. That's what this is all about. Seared, it was good by to see way, you. Oh, by yes. the way, a byline that I was so happy to see and the ringer.com this morning, Danny Chow. Oh, the legend. With, the legend Danny Chow. On, on, another, on another legend. One one Toronto legend, Danny Chow, profiled Jack Armstrong. Yes, go check that out. The uh the the Toronto the 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 Toronto Raptors uh longtime announcer who is just man, like what a what a voice. What yeah, a voice. He's one I of love the best. Jack. Jack is the best. Danny is the best. So that just a gift for you guys on Tuesday. Well, Sirit, I think you're the best. It was good to see you and uh, enjoyed this conversation. And we will catch you next time on The Answer. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client.